All right, thank you guys so much for coming. We're talking about love, love, love is a verb. So if you're going to put something on uh, uh, social media, please use the hashtag love is a verb. And on the sermon notes right there, if you want the sermon notes, and there will be some uh, scriptures and other stuff that I'm going to use today that won't come up on the screen. And so you might want to get these notes and we'll get those right out to you. Love is something you describe with verbs. Because love is only love, really love, when it acts, when it is in action, when it is doing something. Love is a deed, not an emotion. Now, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you want to uh, follow along with that, you, you have your Bibles on your devices or you maybe you got your old school Bible. Who's got their old school Bible today? I tell you, man, Pastor Jared was up here this morning reading out of a big Bible. You know, when the devil sees a big Bible, it really scares him. <laughs> so who's got a big Bible? Let's see who's got the biggest Bible. That's a good, that's a good one. Who's got a big Bible? Not like, like a Sears and Roebuck guy. Oh, son, man. We got the devil on the run today, baby. Got the big Bibles going. Got the big Bibles going. So 1 Corinthians 13. Now, let me just... Let me just um, uh, tell you a little bit about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a, was a really Pentecostal church, a charismatic church. The gifts of the Spirit were operating in that church, and there were problems. There were a lot of problems in that church because just because you're open to the Spirit, um, if you're not aware of what the Word of God teaches then you can get out of bounds in that area. And that's what they had done. They'd gotten out of bounds. And Paul is just teaching them about the proper function, the proper operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ, within the body of the local church. And, and Paul was saying, you guys are doing some, some things that are just out of bounds. And, and God isn't pleased with it. And I want to tell you how this works. And one of the things Paul noticed was that they were all about these gifts, but they were not very loving people. So he is teaching, teaching, teaching about how the church works. He's teaching them about the gifts of the Spirit. And it's kind of like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul goes, all right, all right, time out. Let's talk about love, because if you've got all these gifts operating in the church and you don't love each other, then you're not going to have any impact. And so that's the scripture we've been reading. He says, you know, you might speak with the tongues of angels. You might have the faith to move mountains. You might have all knowledge and uh, you operate in the gift of prophecy. And Paul says, all that's good, all that's fine. But he said, man, you've got to do this in love. And if you're not going to operate this way in love, then what you're doing is nothing. He says it's, a, it's a, a clanging symbol. It's a gong. You're just, it's like you're taking a spoon and a, you remember when you were a kid, you, your folks would buy you all these toys, but you didn't play with the toys. You got the pot and the spoon and you bang, you know. He said, when you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but you're not a loving person, he said, you might as well just make a noise because you're not having any impact on the kingdom of God. So he's really drawing some lines here. So let's focus in on verse 4. 
We've already talked about the fact that love. So then he tells them, you know, what love is. He said, let's talk about love. Let's talk about what love looks like. And he doesn't talk about feelings. He doesn't talk about emotions. He talks about action. He talks about love does this and love does not do this. I mean, he lays it out. And guys, I got to tell you, we could have really gone on and on with this series because we've only scratched the surface with the things we've talked about. We've talked about the fact that love is patient. And if you didn't hear that message, then I hope you'll go back and listen to that message. We talked about, Pastor Andy did a great job talking about love is kind. And then last week we talked about love is not jealous. Well, here's what we're talking about today. Love does not brag. What's the root of bragging? Pride. Can I just tell you? Think about this. Let it sink in. Every sin. Every sin. You guys always look so holy when I use myself, but I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Every sin Pharaoh Hardison does. Every sin you do is rooted in pride. Pride is at the basis. Pride is the foundation of any sin we commit. Doesn't matter what sin you can think of, pride is at the root of it. So he's, he's really talking about one of the um, characteristics of pride, bragging. He said love does not brag, and then he ties into it into this thing of bragging, love is not prideful, love is not conceited, or love is not arrogant. So if you're bragging, if you're a braggart, and you're conceited, and you know your conceit comes out in your bragging, he says that is not love. It looks like that these are the same, really. It looks like, you know, love does not brag, and love is not arrogant. That looks like synonyms. It looks like parallels. And there is some parallel there, but they're not the same. There's a subtle difference. When you say love does not brag, you're talking about the verbalizing of conceit. You're talking about the actual speech of pride. You're talking about an outward expression. So when a person brags, if you were wondering if they were prideful, you don't have to wonder anymore because when they start bragging, they just expressed it. They just put it out there that they're a prideful person. And then the second statement, love is not arrogant, represents the deepness. It represents the, the mind. It represents the heart of pride. And really, um, when you study that phrase that love is not arrogant, it is dealing with this, this deep, inner conceit that really taints all of your life. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I like to do word studies and find out what the original language means. And, and the Greek word, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. The Greek word that tells us that we shouldn't brag, literally when you study that word, don't brag, the root for it is don't be a windbag. I thought that was really cool. Don't be a windbag. Don't, don't be going around spouting out hot air that comes out of the mouth of a proud, conceited person. 
telling how wonderful they are. Supernatural love, and, and can we just touch base on that again a little bit today? We're not talking about natural love. Get this. We're not talking about love that you're capable of in your humanity. Um, you might be sitting here today going, Pastor, i got to tell you something, man. I read 1 Corinthians 13. I don't think I can do that. Let me just set you at ease. I'll go ahead and tell you now. You can't. You can't love at a 1 Corinthians 13 level. You can't love there in your own power, in your own strength. But as you draw near to God and as you submit yourself to the power of God in you and God uh, working through you and you become more intimate with God in your love and in your prayers and in your, in your reading of the Word of God as you get closer and closer to Him, listen, listen, He empowers you. He enables you. Remember we talked about that word grace? A divine, which means God, enablement. So in 1 Corinthians 13, when you are reading that and you're like, whoa, man, I can't do this. This is too much. This is too heavy. Remember, Pastor Farrell can't do it. Staff of the Bridge can't do it. Hey, can I just tell you something? Billy Graham can't do it. I'm talking about a love that is required of us that the only way you can obey it is by submitting your life to the power of God working through you and allowing God to love people through you. So important that you understand that. Really, the whole Christian life is lived that way. There is nothing more frustrating than you saying, I got saved, I'm a Christian, but I'm kind of, you know, not really maintaining my prayer life, and I'm not really in the Word of God that much, and I'm not really serving, and I'm hit and miss at church, and, and all of that, then you're going you're gonna to have an uphill struggle to be a victorious, joyful Christian. Your success as a follower of Jesus is based on your intimacy with Him. He empowers you to live holy. He empowers you to have the right attitude. He empowers you to speak the right words. So, and I know I've preached that, and I know I say that all the time, but guys, if you don't get that, then really you can't go anywhere else in your walk with God. Every command of God, love. Love is a command. 1 Corinthians 13, love. God commands us to love. Every command of God, don't ever forget this, you can tweet this, every command of God is a promise of God. Pharaoh Hardison, go preach. Well, I can't preach, but I can if he what? Goes with me, if he empowers me. 17 years old, Pharaoh Hardison, I want you to go be a preacher. And I got to tell you something, man, at age 17, the only thing I knew was Moses had a coat of many colors. I'm glad y'all thought that was funny because if y'all went, amen, then mm, that's bad. So I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I knew God had called me to be a preacher and a pastor and a Bible teacher, but I knew I didn't know anything. I didn't know much at all. But he said, I'll go with you. If you'll, if you'll let me, if you'll, you know, we're free moral agents. God said, I'll go with you and I'll empower you and I'll, speak through you and see every command of God and the command we're dealing with today is love it's a promise that if you let me I'll help you love I started to say I'll help you be a lover and I thought maybe that don't sound quite right but he'll help you with that too 
That's just funny. Um, my wife's out there going to help him, Jesus. Okay. So the first statement is love does not brag, verbalizing. And then the second statement is that attitude of love. The Greek word is love does not brag. Don't be a windbag. Don't be a person just spewing out hot air about how awesome you are. And here's where we are. Supernatural love is not a person shooting off their mouth about their own accomplishments. When you hear a person who shoots off their mouth all the time about their own accomplishments, um, that's not love. The Bible says that is not love. Paul is teaching us here that love does not speak in a way that intends to make the speaker look better than someone else. If you speak in a way that makes you look better than others and you're being intentional about that, then that's bragging. Bragging is an effort to make other people feel bad about who they are. Bragging is an effort to make people feel bad about what they possess. They look at what you are because you just told them. They look at what you possess because you just told them. They, they don't see themselves that way. They don't feel like they have those things. And so they're comparing themselves to you and it causes them to struggle with really what we preached on last week. And what did we preach on last week was jealousy, envy. So listen to this now. Get this. Don't miss this. When you brag, you actually create a situation where a person begins to be tempted to be jealous. You kind of set up the people who are listening to you brag you're setting them up to fall into the sin of envy or to fall into the sin of jealousy. The goal of bragging is to make someone feel that you are superior to them about who you are and about what you have. So Paul is teaching us that bragging, this is so important, is the opposite of love. Bragging is the opposite of love. Because love says, here's what love says. When you love according to 1 Corinthians 13, then you are loving like Jesus. To love like Jesus. Well, when, when Jesus loved, he loved as a servant. He didn't, he didn't love or speak in a way that made him superior. We'll see it in a minute in the Bible. I'm going to show you. He didn't speak in a way that made him superior. What did Jesus say? I've come not to be Lord, not to be a boss, not to demand. I've come as a servant. I've come as a servant. So when you are bragging, uh, you are saying, I want to be superior over you. But when you're loving, you're saying, I want you to be superior and I want to be a servant to you. Here, here's, um, let me just clarify all that. So you want, and I'm not talking about flattery here because flattery is not good either. Flattery is, flattery is wrong. But to be an edifier, to be an encourager, you want to set yourself that when a person comes into your presence and then leaves, they feel better about who they are. They feel joyful. They feel hopeful. They feel encouraged. The Bible talks about edifying one another. Bragging is the opposite of encouragement. Bragging says, look at me. Doesn't that make you feel bad about yourself? That's the opposite of Jesus. 
Jesus was all about that servant heart. Think about this. Um, and don't point at anybody. Because let me just go ahead and... <laughs> Let me just go ahead and tell you, I know what a lot of people are doing right here right now is you are thinking about people while I'm preaching on this. You're going, yeah. You know what we're so good at? We're so good at thinking of people who are braggers that we don't ask ourselves, am I? Maybe you don't even know that you are. Maybe you're not aware. Are you open to let the Holy Spirit, if I'm a bragger, Holy Spirit, please, and look, that doesn't mean that you have to put yourself down. Doesn't mean that you have to, you know, false humility. Don't you just hate false humility? That's people who are humble and proud of it. False humility. I'm not talking about false humility. I'm not talking about putting yourself down. I'm talking about, you know, we don't always have to speak about ourselves. We don't have to speak about some great accomplishment. There might be a time that you would talk about that, but it would be in the right context. It would be a, in a context that would, that would uh, be appreciated. Here's, here's what I'm saying. So a person who's bragging, what do they want? What do they really want? Boom. They want, they want attention. They want people to admire them. They want people to like them. Can I ask you something? Does that work? Have you ever seen somebody coming and you're going, oh, boy, we're about to hear it now. Let me roll up my pants. I'll let y'all figure out what that means later. But we're about to hear it now. And no matter what story I tell, I know they're going to tell a bigger one. You know, it's kind of like uh, I love Brian Regan. Brian Regan's a comedian. He's my favorite comedian. He talks about he'd love to go somewhere. Some of his friends are always bragging, me, me, me. He said, I'd love to go to a dinner party where the guy who walked on the moon is there. And just let them go ahead and say all they've done. And then right at the end, he looks at him and goes, I walked on the moon. It's hilarious. you got to go to YouTube and look at that. But I know y'all are thinking right now, why didn't you just put it up on the screen? I should have done that. I should have done that. But, but the, here, here's my point. The very thing that the bragger wants, he gets the opposite because you're like, I'm going to get out of this guy's presence as soon as I can. I want to leave or I want him to leave or her to leave. Isn't that true? People don't want to be around somebody who's a bragger. And the bragger thinks if I brag more, they'll really like me. No, they won't. Stop it. The Corinthian problem was this. They were a bunch of spiritual snobs. They were a bunch of spiritual snobs. The gifts of the Spirit were operating, and they were like, look at us, baby. Look at us. We got, we got some supernatural stuff going on in our church. We're, and they thought they were spiritual um, elitists, and they were show-offs. And, 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 and in that, see, you can have that and be inconsiderate. How many of y'all have seen people who really did have some Bible knowledge and, and maybe they really did have some gifts of teaching, but they were snobs about it. You seen people like that? Sure you have. I've seen people who have the gift of singing gospel music and they were awesome, but man, they were jerks. Come on, amen? They were jerks. I mean, we had a guy come here to sing one time and he wanted uh, M&Ms and take all the green ones out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But... <laughs> I've always heard of that guy, but we have had singers come here and, 
and, and they want you to bring a big thing of fruit and all kinds of, I mean, I'm like, well, you can sing at the bridge this time, but buddy, that's it after that. Because I'm looking for some humility. And again, not putting yourself down, but I want to see that heart of Jesus in people. Can I get a little amen right there? I want to see that heart of Jesus in people. And so when you're a bragger and you're arrogant, uh, that's not love. That's loveless. And these people at um, uh, the Corinthian church, they were inconsiderate of each other. Now, you're going to have to read all of 1 Corinthians and all of 2 Corinthians, but you'll learn these things about that Corinthian church. They were very inconsiderate. They were constantly competing with one another for public attention. Uh, they were always fighting uh, for authority. And I think it's interesting, and I would need to study this a little more to make sure I'm really accurate on this, but I can't find anywhere in the writings of Corinthians that where they speak of an elder in the church or they speak of somebody that that they submit to or that there, there's no talk in first and second Corinthians about their, their leadership or their flow chart and and people coming under other people. Now guys, you know for an organization to work, especially a church that's primarily a volunteer organization, we have to be willing to come under people. Amen? And sometimes you have to come under a person who's not as smart as you. Or you have to come under a person who's not as talented as you. And, and if you've got the attitude, I'm not coming under that guy. He's, he's a doofus. That's Greek for dumb. I'm, I'm not coming under the, that guy. He doesn't have the talent I do. He, he doesn't know what I know. My edu- I, got, I got more education. I got more experience. But you know what? In order to get into the ministry system, you might have to come under somebody that, that is not where you are. And see, that's a test for you. And in order for the church to work effectively, I'm sure my staff has looked at me and went, I really got to be Jesus to come up under this guy, you know. But, but that's how it works. That's how the system works. And the Corinthian church, it doesn't talk about that. Um, so we're in 13, and don't turn there, but, but if you're taking notes, just write this down. If you go to the next chapter, in chapter 14, he's talking to them about the gifts of the Spirit, and he's talking to them about their pride. Um, uh, have y'all ever been around spiritual elitist, people who see themselves as being more spiritual, I, they know more Bible, they operate in the Spirit more, they, you know, and they'll tell you, man, they'll tell you, they'll let you know, uh, you know, how spiritual they are. Can, can I just give you all a tip? If you've got to tell people how spiritual you are, you're probably not. But look what Paul says to them, and I'm going to paraphrase this because it's a long passage of Scripture, so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase this. But in 1 Corinthians 14, around verse 26, Paul basically says to them, and I want you to hear this now. He's talking to the Corinthian church, but he's talking to the bridge. He goes, how is it when you guys meet together, everybody has a psalm, everybody has a doctrine, everybody has a tongue, everybody has a revelation, everybody has an interpretation. Paul asked them, what kind of chaos is that? What kind of chaos is that? Let everything Paul says... In 1 Corinthians 14, let everything that's done in the church be constructive and edifying. There's that word again, edifying and done for the good of not just you and your little super group, but the whole church. And the bridge said, the Corinthian church was made up of a bunch of spiritual show-offs. 
Everybody wanted to do his thing. Everybody was bragging and constantly fighting with each other for public attention. Now, when I, when I study anything, and you guys know this, any teaching we do here, no matter what the topic, this topic is love, and now we're talking specifically about bragging and being conceited, I always go, well, what about Jesus? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say about this? And I love, and there are so many scriptures I found, but I love this one. You know, would y'all agree with me if anybody had a right to brag, it was Jesus? <laughs> I mean, if anybody had a right to brag, it was Jesus, but he never did. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of John is the book, the Gospel, that presents him as God. It presents his deity, but in that book, in uh, John 12 and 49, I believe it is, Jesus said, for I have not spoken of myself. And I, I've got to tell you, when I read that, I thought, how many times at the end of the day could I lay down on my pillow and go, I didn't speak of myself today. Probably not, I don't know any days probably that I could say that, but Jesus the one that had every right in the world to brag all he wanted to, and he would have been right on, said, I didn't come to speak of myself. See, what Paul is saying to us here is that only love can save us from bragging. Only love can rescue us from bragging. Only love can rescue us from bragging about our knowledge, bragging about our abilities, our talents, our education. Only love can cause you not to flaunt your gifts in front of people. Now, Paul doesn't only say love doesn't brag, but then he says love is not arrogant. And again, let me remind you of what I said this goes deeper than just the mouth. This goes deeper. This, this love, love is not arrogant. It's talking about that deep inner conceit. See, you've got that shoot your mouth off guy, but then you've got that deep down conceit that has really poisoned your whole thinking process. And when Paul says to the Corinthians, love is not arrogant, and I love the King James Version here. It says love is not puffed up puff out that chest. He says, that's not love. He's really telling them, guys, you're being loveless. When you brag, you're being loveless. When you are conceited, you're being the opposite of Jesus. You're being the opposite of what he wanted for the church. They saw themselves as spiritual hot shots. They thought they had arrived. They were prideful about their knowledge. They were prideful about their spiritual gifts. And Paul calls them out. Here's another scripture you can write down, um, and we're not going to read it off the screen, but 1 Corinthians 4, if you'll go back and read that whole chapter, Paul says, when it comes to pride and arrogance, I want to use myself and Apollos as an example. Now listen, so Paul says, I'm watching you guys, and you won't come under each other, and you won't submit to each other, and you're very defensive with each other, and you're constantly competing with each other. He says, hey, man, look at me and Apollos. Now, Apollos was another great teacher and leader in that early church. He said, man, I submit to Apollos all the time. Apollos submits to me all the time. We're not bickering about who's getting the big attention. We, we, we don't talk 
talk about uh, who's going to be on stage. We don't talk about those things. We don't debate about those things. And Paul tells them in chapter 4, hey, man, look at us. You know, as I was talking about Paul and Apollos there, I, I'm reminded of Barnabas. You know, Barnabas is the one who Paul, Paul had been a, a, a killer of Christians. He thought he was doing the right thing. He had been a, a persecutor like no other, but then he got saved. You remember that story on the road to Damascus? Paul came to Jesus, and his life was changed. Well, then when Paul got saved, he was, he was the one now who had been killing Christians. So he walks into one of their services and goes, Hey, guys, I got saved. Can I join? And they go, you know, they're like, they're a karate kid. They, they don't want that guy in the church. They go brave hard on him. But Barnabas puts Paul under his arm. He puts his arm around Paul. And he goes, hey, guys, listen now. He's changed. Jesus has changed this man's life. And I've been listening to him preach, and I've been watching his life. And, guys, Paul is the real deal. Well, how many of y'all know what happened? Paul became very famous, didn't he? Let me ask you something. Did Barnabas get famous? No, nah, man. When, when Paul came to Barnabas, Barnabas was a bright, shining star, great leader in the early church. But Barnabas was used by God to vindicate Paul and stand up for Paul. So God began to use Paul and you see it in the Bible. Barnabas' star fades away in the Bible, and Paul's star gets brighter and brighter. Now, what if they had been prideful? What if they had been arrogant? What if, what if Barnabas, instead of being son of comfort or son of consolation, what if he'd have been somebody who was threatened by Paul? How would that have changed things? How would that have changed church history? It would have changed it greatly. And so... He says, love is not arrogant. So Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 4. That's where we were talking. He goes, who, he goes in, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul goes, hey, let me ask you, Corinthians, something. Who made you? Who made you? Because i got to tell you, man, you act like you made yourself. You act like you created yourself. i got news for you. You didn't create yourself. God made you. In other words, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. And then Paul, he's really getting sacrilegious, sacrilegious, or not sacrilegious, but sarcastic. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive from God? What gift do you have that God didn't give you the gift? And if God gave you the gift, and if you really had nothing to do with it, will you answer a question for me? And I'm, I'm speaking for Paul here. Why would you be arrogant about that? I mean, if you had nothing to do with your gift, why would you be prideful about that? Why would you be arrogant? about that. Paul says, but in spite of the fact that you have nothing to boast about, and in spite of the fact that you've received everything you've got as a gift from God, and in spite of the fact that it's God that makes you uniquely who you are, somehow you're still thinking and speaking highly of yourself. He said, stop it. You've got conceit in you. You're bragging. That's not love. That's not Jesus. Come on, guys. Cut it out. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, which reminds me of a story I heard about William Carey. And I would encourage you, if you ever want to study the life of somebody, William Carey is a, 
a tremendous life to study. He was one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. He was one of the greatest linguists the world has ever seen, Christian or non-Christian. William Carey translated parts of the Bible into 34 different languages. Before he was a renowned missionary, guess what he was? He was a shoe repairman. He was a cobbler. He fixed shoes. When he came to India as a missionary, he was immediately despised by everybody because in India, and it even goes on to this day, for centuries they've been locked into a very, very stringent caste system or class system. And that's a whole nother study. But in India, they actually have people who are classified lower than animals. And they've got them in all these categories. So one night, William Carey was at a dinner party, and this guy knew a little bit about William Carey's life, and so he wanted to put him down. He wanted to ridicule him. He wanted to embarrass him. And so this rich snob said, uh, in a way to humiliate Carey, he said, uh, so, and he said it out loud so everybody could hear. He said, so I uh, have heard, Mr. Carey, that you were once a shoemaker. And I love what William Carey said. He said, oh, no, your lordship. I was never a shoemaker, only a shoe repairman. I love that. Instead of him even taking that little tiny credit that was above being a shoe repairman. He wouldn't do it. He said, no, I, I'm not a shoemaker. I just fix shoes. That's humility. Here's a quote for you. You can tweet this, whatever that means. Empty trucks make the most noise. So when you hear that loud mouth bragger, just don't say it out loud. But say it under your breath. Empty trucks make the most noise. Let me give you some scriptures really quick as we close. Proverbs 8. Let's just take all these in Proverbs. And I'm not going to put the scriptures up, but here are the references. Proverbs 8, 13, 11, 2, 13, 10, 16, 18, 29, 23. Uh, so Proverbs 18, 13. Or I'm sorry, Proverbs 8, 13. Listen to this. The writer says, you want to fear the Lord? You want to reverence the Lord? You want to worship the Lord? You want to be in awe of the Lord? Then let me tell you something. Hate evil, hate pride, and hate arrogance. That's right there in your Bible. You say, hate? Why would we hate that? Because he hates it. Listen to me. There are many things in the Bible. It lists in the Bible things God hates. And God hates evil, and he hates pride, and he hates arrogance. And the writer says, if you want to be a true worshiper of God, you hate it too. Proverbs 11, 2. Now, when, we, when these braggers brag, what do they want? They want attention. They want to be admired. They want to be honored. Listen to this. They get the exact opposite when they get arrogant. They get the exact opposite. Uh, Proverbs eleven two. When pride comes, then comes shame. 
Can I tell you that shame is the thing the bragger and the conceited person fears the most? But the Bible says when you get conceited and when you get bra- and when you become a bragger, shame is coming. The very thing you hate the most is coming. Proverbs 13.10, only by pride comes contention. And that is so true. We're going to have a video in just a minute about that. Pride causes contention, but when you humble yourself, peace comes. Peace comes. All pride does is start fights. Humility, humbleness has never started a fight. Humble people haven't got anything to argue about. Humility is generous. People fight because they're proud. People start contentions because they're proud. Proverbs 16, 18. Y'all know this one. You can quote this one. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proud people are always the most ignorant people Because in their pride and smugness, they can't see what's coming for them. See, they think if I'm proud and smug and bragging, that's going to make a smooth path. No, you're going to fall. And then finally, Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall not lift him up. Bring him low. The Bible says a man's pride, the very thing proud people are so terrified of being brought low, that's what your arrogance does to you. That's what your pride does to you. Hey, Farrell Hardison, learn this. Pastor Farrell, when you get prideful, when you get arrogant, it's before a fall. It's going to cause you to stumble. It's going to shame you. Hear the word of the Lord today. I love this one. You can tweet this, love is not big-headed, love is big-hearted. Love is not big-headed, love is big-hearted. And, and to this point, I, I, when I saw that quote, I thought about John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist, before Jesus came on the scene as Messiah, John the Baptist was the hero, man. He was the spiritual giant. I mean, he was the guy with the godly muscle and the spiritual giant. He was that great prophet. Multitudes followed him everywhere he went. But one day, John the Baptist stood up, pointed his finger at Jesus, and said, He must increase, and I must decrease. Now, that's humility. You know what John the Baptist was saying? John the Baptist was saying, Hey, guys, the quicker and more intently that you start focusing on Jesus... And the less intently you focus on me, the better I'm going to like it because he is Lord. He is Lord. You remember what John the Baptist said? I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. John the Baptist had every right to be, in the world's perspective, a bragger and an arrogant, but he was not. He was a humble man. So what did we learn from this series? We've learned that love is the only hope for the Corinthians. Amen? So what does that mean? It means it's the only hope for us. Paul tells us that love is superior to eloquent speech. Love is superior to spiritual gifts like like prophecy and knowledge and faith, even charity and, and martyrdom. Love never begrudges. Love never shows off. Love is never selfish. 
Love is always patient with people. Love is always kind. Love is never jealous. Love is never easily provoked or angered. Love is never rude to people. Love is always generous and always gracious. Now we're going to hear a testimony today from Blake and Tabitha. And they are, look, this testimony you're going to hear today is real, buddy. I mean, these guys have been there and they've walked through the valley of pride and what pride, what pride causes in a marriage. But then they talk about how God changed their heart and they humbled themselves and God put their marriage back together. They're major attenders and, and uh, major uh, owners and, and very involved in the, in the bridge here. And so you're going to recognize their face and you're going to be touched by their testimony. Let's show that testimony now. Thank you. Hey guys, I'm Blake. And I'm Tabitha. You may recognize us from some of your favorite sermon bumper videos, like the hashtag video. Sex God's Way. Or most recently, Love is a Verb. But what you guys don't know is that our marriage was not always an example of Christ's love. So Blake and I met in November of 2009. We both had been previously engaged to other people that ended, so when we met, we both made it very clear that we weren't looking for anything serious. Little did we know that two months later, we would make it official that we were dating. He was everything I ever wanted in a husband. Blake asked me to marry him in August of 2010, and we didn't waste a bit of time. We were married three months later. During our wedding planning, we found out that I was pregnant. Newlyweds, expecting a child, it was really a lot to take in. Blake and I were raised completely different, and those differences began to quickly show. The differences between our families grew, and I was being pulled away from Blake. I had so many people influencing me. We were not walking with God, so everything we did was by our flesh. We had our first child, Caleb, and things continued downhill from there. I was secretly battling postpartum depression. There was a lot of verbal abuse, some physical abuse, and some excessive drinking. It was so far from a God-centered home. Just before Caleb's first birthday, I had made up my mind that I was going to leave. Everyone told me to leave, so we separated in March of 2012, a year and five months after being married. For me, I knew it was coming. She had laid the groundwork for leaving weeks, maybe months before. I knew it wasn't necessary. I knew my wife and I loved her unconditionally from the beginning. She was misplaced and my heart ached for her. I wanted nothing more than to hold her like a baby and take care of her. Problem was, God wasn't the center of our marriage or lives. I couldn't do it alone and didn't know how to make her change at the time. Lots of behind-the-scenes planning went into her side of this, and just like that, I came home from work and she was gone. Something I always said would never happen would be that my child would be raised in a split home. And there I was, about to be a single dad. It took me many long nights just to get the strength to move forward. The only thing that kept me going was my little boy. His love was truly unconditional, and that's what I used to move forward. Days turned into weeks, weeks into months and things only got worse. Our battles began to get more and more worse as I learned she was having a relationship. Now my child was being exposed to something that I was very uncomfortable with. Of course, that led me to doing the same thing. Behind closed doors, I picked up a relationship as well. Those relationships are the hardest thing for us to talk about even today. Well, my protection for my son was too much for her. She wanted to be in control. She even had me arrested for stalking her. 
This came just days after she invited me over for supper and just hours after she calls me scared because she had had an asthma attack. This meant war. By this time, I had been recording all of our phone conversations, documenting everything. It was time to burn. Her uncertainty made me feel uncomfortable with her caring for our child. I had to play hardball because that's all that she would pitch. She takes another shot and orders a DVPO out on me, basically a restraining order from her and her property. Now I still get to see my son, but I just can't be around her. I kind of thought maybe that was better for me, more ammo. How can someone that fears for their life so bad around me invite me over for dinner, but still allow me to be around our son? So we had a court date set for four weeks after the date of the order. Four weeks we couldn't speak. Had to set up all sorts of special arrangements for us to pass our son back and forth. I will never forget the first time seeing Blake in a courtroom. The way he looked at me brought me back to the day we were when we got married. We were so excited to finally see each other and now we could hardly stand the thought of being in the same room. That day, my heart began to break and I became very confused, more than what I was before. All I could ask myself was how did we get here? I was so confused about every decision I had made. I was most confused about my marriage coming to an end. A good friend of mine asked me to meet her at the bridge that following Sunday. It was July 8th, a little over three months of being separated. There was a guest speaker there that day and the sermon was titled Confusion. Everything he said had been going through my mind that week. It was as if he were speaking directly to me. I remember him stating that he knew that it was for someone sitting in church that morning. That day, sitting in that chair, I handed my life and my marriage over to God and he began quickly working. God used another friend who I admired to to talk to me that day about marriage counseling. It was insane. It was like I went from being so confused to having God shining light on everything that he wanted to do. He had a plan for me and it was to save my marriage. So of course, I'm unaware of all of this. I'd say like a few days later, she starts trying to reach out to me with all this new God stuff she's on. So she had issued a protection order and we aren't even allowed to talk by law and now she's using the Lord's name in vain to attempt to talk to me. No way. She's not fooling me. I've been collecting all this evidence for months and I wasn't going to throw it all away by texting her or calling her or giving in to these attempts. So I ignored it. Now she continued to try. She even started telling other people to tell me about what she had found. Well I still didn't care. I wasn't going to speak until she dropped the charges. With the restraining order in place for three more weeks, God continued to work on me. He made me aware of each and every transgression that I had been doing and did within our marriage. I studied scripture of my roles as a wife. I cut off all soul ties and anything that did not glorify God. I was made new. I was a new woman and I was no longer confused. He directed each and every step that I made from that day forward. Our court date finally arrived and I put on my armor. I polished my wedding bands and packed my Power of a Praying Wife book. I prayed inside and outside of that courthouse and I begged God to soften Blake's heart. I went in, I dropped everything, and waited that evening for the right moment to reach out. Finally, our court date was here. My chance to see if she was serious. First sign, she was wearing her wedding rings. Wow, okay, maybe she is on to something. Secondly, our names were called. We approached the bench and there it was. Her lawyer's voice speaking up, saying she'd like to drop the charges. Okay, good deal. Now, I'm gonna go home and breathe for a little bit because I have been holding my breath for the past several weeks. The next day, I was at home. Tap pulls up into my driveway. I'm shaking, I'm scared. What is she doing here? 
can I have her arrested for stalking? So many thoughts are going through my head. She opens up her car door, hops out. Hey. I say hi. She says, if you don't want me here, I'll leave. Are you kidding me? I've waited for this moment for four months. Is this real? Is my wife really home? This can't be. I'm supposed to hate her. But I didn't. I still love her. Her smile was purer than on our wedding day. Her heart was purer than when our son was born. And her smell was sweeter than our first date. I was still in love, but with a Christ-centered woman. This was great. A chance to see what God did. I didn't know much about all that God stuff. Because like I said before, God wasn't the center of our lives. It wasn't someone I talked to very often. Yeah, we'd shoot a few prayers up now and again, and that's about it. Well, it didn't take long for me to see God working in her, and I really liked it. So we started going to church together, and it really helped us grow. I quickly picked up on the importance of God in marriage and the power of praying for your spouse. Seeing God in her is ultimately what led me to begin my walk with Christ, and now today we are excited to be able to have a God-centered marriage and life. But don't get me wrong, we still struggle, we're human, but the, the times when we're on track, it's so easy to tell. We really are one flesh, and our marriage wouldn't be where it is today if God hadn't taken control. We cannot stress enough the importance of praying for your spouse. You cannot change them, but God can. And that's kind of the reason behind us sharing our testimony today. We hope that somebody out there realizes that it doesn't have to get that bad before it gets this good. And remember, love is a verb. <laughs> Thank you.